0: Welcome to Mums Group, a podcast for Christian mums navigating the joyful complexities of motherhood. My name's Ali Barnes, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Beth Brown. Hello. Lynn Saunders, who's usually with us. She's looking after her little one, so couldn't be here. But I thought we'd take the opportunity to focus on your story, Beth, and your long and challenging journey to becoming a mum after many years of trying. (laughs) You and I met as part of a church plant team last year. I think I was around 16 weeks pregnant and you were like 10 days off (laughs) D-Day. But before we go there, do you want to just start by sharing like a little bit about yourself and your family? What do you do?
1: Yeah, I'm 34. I'm married to uh, a guy who works with the federal police. I have a little girl called Maisie, as you Mm -hmm. know. Grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a pastor, what he still is. Um, I'm a registered nurse working in anesthetics, Um, but I'm only back there one day
0: a week at the moment because I just enjoy spending too much time with my (laughs) (laughs) kids. Now, you had Maisie through IVF. How long were you trying for a baby before starting IVF?
1: Yeah, so it was the middle of the year in 2011 that we decided we wanted to start a family and have a baby and we ended up going down the IVF route um, middle of the year in 2017 so that was about a six year process for us
0: wow and did you have any medical conditions like polycystic ovaries or anything that you knew about that would make the process of having a child hard I ended up finding out that I had endometriosis right Um, so I had surgery I had a
1: laparoscopic surgery um, and. They found stage three endometriosis, which was unusual for me because I had no symptoms of that. So a lot of people who have endometriosis do experience heavy bleeding or they have quite a lot of pain, and I had no sign that I had that. So what I went in for that surgery literally just to see what was going on, just to see if they could find out anything, you know, to answer the question as to why I wasn't falling pregnant. And that's when they found the endometriosis. And so they so they cut that out, and then once they do that, they say that you're. Um, yeah, your probability of falling pregnant after that is the highest it's going to be once that has happened. You know, those first six months following that, you are going to be es- essentially your most fertile. Mm. So they said, um, yeah, try for six months, and you know, because the endometriosis is gone, we flushed your tubes, everything's looking good. We know that my husband had no issues. Um, yeah, so they just they said that it should work essentially. But it didn't? Uh, no. So um, eight months after, we were still trying and there was nothing. So that's when we decided to go down the assisted fertility route.
0: Okay. And that was a little bit of a faith dilemma for you, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I guess IVF is interesting because you do have to consider when you believe life begins. Mm. You know, and that's quite a big thought and a big question and controversial one as well. And I think... Being a Christian, both me and my husband were of the belief that life began when the sperm and the egg joined together. Um, sometimes, you know, we weren't sure if that really was the case, but we also weren't sure that it wasn't the case. Mm. So we decided to go with if you don't know a hundred percent, you know, err on the side of caution. So we thought, yep, yeah, okay, that's when we th- that's when we believe life begins. Mm. So. If you go down the IVF route, what you do is you you stimulate yourself to produce as many eggs as you possibly can in one cycle, and then they take them, and then they fertilize each one of those eggs to create as many embryos as possible, and then they keep an eye on those embryos to see which ones form properly, and then that's the that's the amount that you're left with, and the, that's the amount of uh, attempts you can have in that cycle. To fall pregnant, so they'll put one in. Then you wait and see if it works. If it doesn't, you can put another one in, and so on, until you run out of your embryos. Mm. So, I guess I found myself in a position of thinking, well, what if I managed to produce 15 eggs? <laughs> what if all 15 of them fertilize? Yeah. What if all 15 of them grow and pre- and form and produce beautifully? You're gonna need a lot of grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Well, I I've created 15 souls right so we ask them what are our options with them once they once they exist and the options are implant them discard them like literally throw them away give them to science for experimentation or donate them to other people so also based on our understanding of life and what is right and wrong for us like what we what we what we believe we really felt like the only options we had were to implant them in ourselves or donate them to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was something really huge for us to to take on, thinking that maybe we implant four and all four of them work, and we end up with four children. And based on our financial situation or life, we just we literally can't manage any more children. So then we were left with knowing that, well, if we have any embryos left over, we'll be donating those embryos. And so it was just a huge thing for us to ponder that we might have to know that there are children of ours out there in the world existing that we are not raising. And obviously there's a huge blessing in gifting those children to other people and I don't for a second think, you know, people shouldn't consider that. And I know people who have had embryos donated to them who – couldn't you know even form embryos of their own yeah. and have been so affected in a beautiful and blessed way by yeah, that yeah. so I know that it's a good thing to do I just also knew that it was something that we had to come to terms with mm. so before we started the, the IVF process we just thought okay w- you know whatever happens we now have to um, take responsibility for these people that we're forming yeah through this
0: unusual scientific way which we never thought we'd have to think about or do well you don't i mean you spend half of your childhood learning how to not fall pregnant you never think it's actually going to take so long yeah and be so difficult yeah how many embryos
1: yeah so um i actually got a very small number of eggs in the end so they they like to get around eight i got five they said look it is on the lower side you never know what will happen um of those five um eggs that were fertilized, three of them broke apart and sort of malformed or seemed to die essentially within the first two or three days. Mm. And we were left with two healthy embryos. That sounds more affordable. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Like in one sense, two, that's, um, that's not a lot of opportunities if it doesn't work the first time or the second time, which we were expecting, um, And it had been quite an expensive and involved process to get to that point, you know, injections, daily injections Mm. and um, the extraction of the eggs and, um, you know, hormone stimulating things. And so we thought, wow, like two feels in one sense a relief because we won't have to probably make some very tricky decisions, yeah. but also as he suddenly got nervous, we thought, but that's not very many,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know, for everything we've been through. Sure. Yeah. And is this going to take? Yeah, that's right. What does that do to your relationship? Like this period of waiting and then going through such a invasive process to have a baby, does it bring you closer or is the sort of disappointment something that- you know, puts pressure on your relationship. Mm,
1: I think everyone would absolutely be different in that regard. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think for me and my husband, uh, it was a bonding process. Um, I think because we both wanted it. We both – neither of us were really to blame, so there wasn't a sense where we had to sort of work through our, um, you know, trying not to be – Resentful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, well, finally you had better yeah. sperm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't like that. So um, – I think the disappointment gave each other opportunities to support each other and to love each other, and then the i v f process itself yeah we we walked it together and and I think we came out stronger for it to be honest whereas i mean, but we're the sort of couple where um when we move house we that's when we really come like we're just good under pressure in that way, yeah, whereas I think there are some couples you know that possibly would find that process um quite hurtful and damaging to the marriage, you know, and I'm not saying we're exceptional because it didn't happen for us. We have other areas of stresses that cause issues for us, but this particular one for us, for some reason, seemed to help us to bond, Mm.
0: um, thankfully. And did you always feel hopeful that you would have a baby someday or did you guys have conversations like, oh, well, maybe, maybe that's just not God's plan? Um...
1: We had conversations like maybe that's just not God's plan, but I'm not sure I ever really believed it. Yeah. I mean, I think we I think it's something you get better at saying, mm. you know, well, um, we might not have kids, so we should, you know, think about other things. But I'm not sure my heart ever really um, caught up to that. I think that there was parts of me that thought, oh, well, you know, um, there are things I could do if I didn't have kids, like um, go and work in the deepest, darkest you know, corner of Africa, Mm. which would be harder to do with little ones, you know, as a nurse. And so I had little things like that where I thought, you know, there are things that are exciting to me that I could fall back on, but it was never that real. It was just... Um, you know, I think I was kidding myself that I that I was okay with it, and that I had other plans, and that I would be okay with it. Yeah. I think I always assumed it was going to happen at some point. Mm. You know, and I had I had started to look into fostering and adoption um, as another alternative to raising a child because I wanted
0: to so badly. Mm. Um, how did you feel? You know. I guess around that time, a lot of your friends had already started families, Mm. you know, being in environments where there were loads of kids and wanting that. Mm. It's funny. Everyone deals with that differently as well. I think for
1: me, um, I found it in one sense painful because... I was jealous like you know I'm not gonna lie it was there was some ungodly feelings in there like I want what you've got Uh, I think what you seem to have is better than what I've got and seeing that play out had its time of times of pain for me and particularly um, hearing of more and more people falling pregnant falling pregnant people have had one kid and another kid and then just thinking, wow, like you don't realise just how what a miracle it is to fall pregnant yeah. um, and, and little babies and the way they smelt. And I was just, oh, man, I'm so jealous. But on the other hand, I loved being around it. So I know there are some people who think, oh, this is too hard. I don't want to be around it. Mm. Whereas for me, I thought I want this so bad. I've just been so grateful for people over the years who have had kids who have welcomed me who had welcomed me into their family, in a sense, to hang out and play with their kids because it was something that I wanted and I wasn't getting for myself at that point in time. And I was super blessed by people letting me play with their children and hold mm. their babies. Mm. Like, So I was really blessed by that stuff as
0: well. So mm. it, was a, it was a bit of mixed emotions in there. Yeah. Did you have any experiences, like any small hopes of falling pre- like? I think if I was an hour late with my period, Mm, I'd be on a stick. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did you have those moments? I, I was really, really regular, and I had
1: one week where I was five days late. And we had been trying, as we had, you know, for years, yeah. um, you know, following my ovulation cycle and um, making sure we were, you know, planning it and doing it just at the right time. And then I was five days late, and I, 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 did. I went and bought a pregnancy test, and I tested on the first day, and it was a negative. And then I start googling, "Can, um, can you be pregnant but still have a negative result?" Obviously, you find lots of answers. Yes, you can. And then, you know, I did it again the next day. Still no period. Still saying negative. And you know, can you be two days late? And still have a negative, yes, you know, occasionally, you know, pregnancy tests don't pick up stuff until three or four days afterwards. And then four days went by and I thought, well, I mean, I started actually planning how I was going to tell my family. I started oh. to think, all right, what, like, what should I do? That Should I do oh. like, a, like a balloon that yeah. says you're going to be grandparents and all that sort of stuff? And then day five got my period and it was it was a real blow because it was in that exact same week that one of my closest friends... Pregnant, and I just I was also thinking, We're gonna have babies at the same time yeah. and anyway. It was, um, it's disappointing that was probably one of my t- times where I was, did say to God, I'm not sure what that was, like, I'm not sure what you're doing there. Like, that just felt like a tease, to be honest. Yeah, you know, um, I'm not sure I learned anything from that. I think that was just mean,
0: yeah, because it's so tricky, you know, considering. Children are such a blessing. They're such a good thing, and God is such a good and loving God. Mm. Why wouldn't He want that for you? Yeah, it's a hard thing to reconcile.
1: And then in that moment, not only why wouldn't you want it for me, but why would He make me believe I had it? Mm. You know, um, I'm sure I learned stuff from it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm being so you know just silly as I speak, really, and irreverent. But I just, I'm just
0: to be honest. At that moment in time, I just thought, I, I don't get that. So did you have people around you, you know, friends and family or, or your dad's a pastor? Mm. You know, what sort of encouragement helped on days like that? Oh, you know, nothing really does help. Um, you
1: know, people do say things like God's in control. You know, I I didn't really doubt that. Um, I think the best thing was just people who weren't that sucked. Like, that sucks um, because... You, you know, when when you're at that stage, you've read a lot of things, you've read articles and prayers, and you've heard everything really, and you just need people to grab you by the shoulder and say, oh, "Mate, you must you must be finding this really hard." Yeah. So then you can go, "Oh, I actually am." Yeah. Whereas if people just offer you advice, or one-liners or things, you feel like you don't you're not really allowed to be sad. Right. So I think it was just permission to be upset
0: about it was. The most helpful thing and were you open with what you're going through and even when you started IVF had did you have a support network around you that knew
1: yeah I we were open I mean after a few years and particularly people saying you know well you guys will be next you know <laughs> and um just people saying so unhelpful yeah like you guys are gonna make great parents what are you what, when are you thinking of having starting a family not realizing perhaps that We'd been in the process for two or years. We just started being a lot more like, actually, we've been trying for a while now and it's not happening. Mm. Um, and that was just our decision to do it that way because we didn't want to pretend and hide our feelings and we didn't want to nod politely and say, yeah, you know, you never know because then um, you just don't get the same support. Whereas as soon as we started saying, look, we've been trying, people go, oh, my gosh, like – that's so hard. I, had, I, you know, I struggled to fall pregnant, and suddenly people come out of the woodworks and they start saying, "We tried for seven years." And yeah, and you realise there's a lot more people out there who did actually struggle. Whereas yeah. when you don't talk about it, it just seems like everyone falls pregnant first go, and you feel alone. Yeah, in struggle. So we did. We did. We actually included. We just didn't hide any of it. We just told everyone that what we were doing. Um, and when we did go down the IVF road i mean obviously we weren't like just promoting it from the rooftops but we were very happy to talk about it with anyone who was interested and if you know and we did share with our close friends you know exactly when it was happening and what stage we were at in the process because if it doesn't work you want people to be there with you in your disappointment whereas if you don't tell anyone when it doesn't work, people just think, "Why is that person so grumpy?" Yeah. <laughs> Whereas instead, you can go, oh, it didn't work." Everyone can just
0: do that thing where they go, "Ah, oh, with you." Yeah. And you know what? That 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 does help. And so, the first round of IVF was successful for you. That's right. So we have we had the two embryos. They implanted
1: embryo number one, and that is the baby we have today, one and a half year old Maisie, the most beautiful girl. <laughs> She's stunning. So, for us, you know, the story has this cracker ending, um so I realize even as i'm speaking, I'm not speaking on behalf of so many people who have done multiple rounds of IVF and are still waiting for that baby mm. so um, we did struggle, and we have wrestled um and our journey has taken us to having that baby, which we are deeply grateful for.
0: Mm. But um yeah, I, I don't begin to imagine what it is for people who've gone round after round after round. At what point in your pregnancy with Maisie did you start to relax and let yourself believe, oh, this is gonna happen? Um
1: I didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't um, actually ever relax. I I I had had friends who had lost babies, you know, right up until the ninth month, um and i think i was always thinking that yes i have a baby in my tummy but i don't know if this baby is going to be healthy mm. you know you know you get some idea but or you know or if this baby is going to survive labor or i just i couldn't let go of the fact that i assumed something was going to go wrong at some point um i don't know where it comes from but i just had this weird feeling that I'd been so blessed to fall pregnant with the first embryo that couldn't possibly be true that it was going to work out. Yeah, wow. You know, it was just we'd waited seven years. The embryo took first go. So when's this going to go wrong? It's just it can't be that easy.
0: Well, and it wasn't that easy. <laughs> I mean, pre- pregnancy went yeah, terrific. Yeah. But uh, Maisie's birth yeah was challenging. It was a challenging birth. <laughs> per- <laughs> um, yeah, so the the pregnancy was...
1: Really, really straightforward, beautiful. I mean, I had my bit of morning sickness, but healthy stages of growth for the baby the whole time. Um, Went into labor um, after a stretch and sweep. So stretch and sweep on the um, Friday morning and then went into labor that evening. Um, Yeah, it progressed as I guess what I'd imagined based on my birthing classes. I sort of I was in the lounge room just working through it. My husband was asleep in the room. Um, and then they did start to ramp up a little bit and I thought, oh, I might just go get my husband for, just to be the guy who times the contractions as they suggested and yeah. to give me the all oh, you can do this kind of thing. I started to feel quite unwell. Everyone has different sort of experiences. I, I did um, have a few vomits in that time. Oh, yeah. Um, my, my gut was just starting to like. Run, you know. I just felt like I needed to run to the bathroom a few times. Both ends, yeah. So my 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 glory moment was sitting on the toilet. I mean, just with running out of me and having a heavy contraction, (laughs) then deciding I needed to vomit (laughs) and grabbing for Maisie's baby bath. Oh no! (laughs) Sitting on the toilet, vomiting into the baby bath, christening it. Oh my goodness! I just (laughs) thought, oh. You know, And I got to the point where I just didn't really want to be doing it at home anymore. I really was starting to think, even though I had thought I really wanted to do it completely naturally, I thought, nah, epidural sounds pretty good at oh, this yes, point in time. It gets to that point, doesn't yeah. it? Like, you know
0: what? This is overrated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I
1: was, I, I was like, I want to know what it feels like. But then, no, after a couple of hours, I thought, I actually just want to lie there and enjoy the process. Um So let's get to hospital. Let's get the epidural in. So we went to Royal North Shore Hospital, got out. I had a few vomits along the way. Very unpleasant. And they checked me because they want to make sure that um, you've got to be more than four centimeters, I think. Um, the the details have blurred a little over time, but I think yeah. it's got to be more than four or five centimeters for them to actually let you stay in hospital. Right, They send you home otherwise. Yeah. Um, so they checked me and I think I was three. And I thought, what, well, three to four? It's only going to take a little bit of time. But they they say, you know, first baby, it can take quite a while. And, and, and what they don't want is for you to go in, into a hospital room and just perhaps... Um, relax a bit because you're suddenly there and not make such of an effort with the pushing and the breathing and then apparently you can slow things down so that's what that's the reasoning behind that but because it was a quiet night and they could sense that I was just a bit like oh, I really just want to be here mm. they um they let me stay they said look it's first baby work through your contractions you know um and we'll come and check you in four hours time <sighs> four hours yeah I was like well it's a long time um and I asked for the epidural at that point in time and they said I was just still a bit too early for an epidural like they didn't want it to slow things down so they said just you know keep going for a bit and um so I wow. was just going from bed to standing to bed to standing whatever I sort of felt like I could manage and um I got to a point where I just really felt like I wanted to be in a seated position so I went off to the toilet and I just sat on the toilet because it just felt like slightly more comfortable to be squatting in that way mm. And I just felt a bit of a splash that was, I thought, okay, that's, I guess that's my water's breaking. It was just a bit of an unusual sort of splash that was something I'd never felt before. Incontinence. Well, I didn't think <laughs> I, that's right. I just didn't feel that like that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just walked out and I said to my husband, um, my waters have broken. So would you mind getting the nurse? And then as the nurse was on her way, I mean bucket of water came out of me. So that little splash was just the first bit. And then the rest of the fluid just came flooding out. It was just everywhere. And then
0: you're really thankful that you're in the hospital and not in your lounge room on the carpet. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And I thought, wow, this is a lot of fluid. And, um, you know, I don't know, like it's my first baby. So I don't know what to compare anything to, but I just really feel like the contractions were really coming on strong. And actually I got to a point where I started involuntary pushing. And so the nurse came in and checked me and she said oh um you're you're 10 centimeters can i have my epidural That's now right. so and <laughs> i said perfect 10 centimeters let's get that epidural on board let's push this baby out and she said oh no it's too late for the epidural now <gasps> and i thought well what's your name <laughs> and where is the comment card <laughs> um so She's like, we better get your obstetrician in because yeah. I was a private patient giving birth in the public system. Okay. Um, so she called him and I'm on all fours pushing, pushing, pushing. And they're sort of checking with the mirror um, a couple of times because I think they're expecting to see the head of the baby's head. That's the sort of the stage I was at. And that's yeah. just the, you know, the, they said the rate that you're going, you know, this baby's going to be here any minute. Um, And my obstetrician turned up and obviously wanted to do a quick check, so popped me up on the bed. And he felt, and he didn't say much, but I could sense on his face, um, he wasn't quite happy with the progress. And um, he said, you know, um, okay, the baby's posterior, so rather than facing with the face, like when the baby were to come out, rather than the baby facing to the ground, Mm -hmm. at that point my baby would be facing eyes up to the roof. So, you know, it's head first, but you want the baby facing the ground so that the head can sort of, the neck can bend as it comes out. Okay. So um, in between my contractions, which were, you know, full on at this point, he um, placed his hand right up and rotated her. And, um, you know, she actually hadn't descended at all uh, down the birth canal she sort of was sort of stuck up there because okay. of this position. And her head was pushing against my tailbone Oof. rather than, you know, in the position where she was going to be able to come out smoothly. So he rotated her, you know, which is quite a painful um, thing. It's yeah. almost like a contraction in itself. So contraction and then rotation and then contraction again. And Oof, no let up. Yeah. And I started to push again and again. And and, and thankfully she did descend slightly. Um, so he took his hand off to sort of, um, you know, keep helping and encouraging me. And um, as I was pushing, still no, seemed to be no real progress of her descending down the birth canal. So he put his hand up, and she'd actually flipped back again into oh. the posterior position. Gee. So he um, then between those two contractions, he then rotated her again, and she was able to descend a little bit further down. And then she flipped back again, posterior. So three times she um, went from the right position to the wrong position. Um,
0: Doing it my way, guys. That's right.
1: (laughs) And it was around this time they, you know, they were getting the fetal heart monitor on me because they were just wanting to make sure that she was doing okay. And they were noticing – that her heart rate, I think they, they were confused at the time whether they, they were picking up my heart rate or her heart rate, but the heart rate was sitting at around 70. So regardless of whether it's hers or mine, it's on the lower side. Obviously, hers much more dangerously low, but it, even if it was mine, it's unusual to be at a heart rate of 70 in, in this sort of situation because you're looking at more like a sort of 90 or 100 because of just, you know, the work that your heart would be doing. Right,
0: and what should hers have been? About around? 160. Oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. so
1: I think they realised after a while that it was her – um, that was at 70, so they thought, you know what, we need to get this baby out immediately. Yeah. Um, I was well and truly beyond the um, emergency Caesar stage because by this stage she was crowning. I could feel the top of her head, but she was really starting to give up um, in, and she was in this posterior position. So he gave me um, an episiotomy, you know, a little cut to try and make sure I didn't tear, um, one on the left, one on the right diagonally. And um, then he got the vacuum and just pulled her out because um they were quite concerned at that point yeah um and I was, that was just this moment where he held her up and there she was like I just hadn't had no idea what it would be like to see your own child and there was this kid i like wow so that's what she looks like like you just yeah I'm like wow okay so it's a real baby she's pretty normal looking and then I'm like and this is the point where they give it to me and I I just breathe this huge sigh of relief that this horrific you know contraction, posterior, contraction, posterior, you know, yeah. thing and is over and I rest her on my chest and, you know, and, and there's just this weird moment where everyone's just sort of very quiet and I just said, isn't she supposed to be crying? And he's looking at me and he's looking at the nurse and then I said, seriously, isn't she supposed to be crying? Like I yeah. sort of – and he said, um, yet, yeah, let's take her back. And so he <sighs> – um, handed it to the paediatrician, which he'd called in. Okay. Um, they pulled down the resus um, section and lay her down. Mm. And within about 20 seconds of her on that table and them saying she needs a bit of support, they hit the code blue button, you know, basically saying um, cardiac or respiratory arrest emergency. And the room just suddenly filled with 20, 30 medical professionals, you know, of all <laughs> different the thing is you know in that sort of scenario the the people in the hospital don't know when that bell goes off whether the baby's the one who needs the support or the mum so you get um all sorts of people, people who, you know, are more paediatric trained and people who are more trained in, you know, adults. And um, it was actually an unusual time. It was eight o'clock or something in the morning by that stage. You had all the night stuff handing o- staff handing over to the morning staff. Mm-hmm. So I got double the number of people, you know, okay. running in. And there was also not many people giving birth that night. It was just this... It was just this surreal moment where this the room flooded with people yeah. all you know grabbing instruments and wheeling trolleys and because I'm a nurse and I work in theaters particularly I I knew what each of those trolleys were and I knew um what they were going to be starting to think you know wh- like what does this kid need
0: and and is that a comfort seeing so many people around or is are you feeling I mean you're obviously terrified yeah, I was comforting because I knew that I was in a great hospital and I knew I had a
1: lot of people who knew what they were doing, so I was going to be getting the absolute best care possible. Funnily enough, because I know what's going on, I also felt a bit of comfort because I looked around and I knew that mm, 60% of the people in that room didn't even need to be there. They just respond to the bell. That's what you do. You just mm-hmm. you just go and you need to be a pair of hands. I think if, if I hadn't known any of that, I would have been overwhelmed, like, why does my baby need 30 medical professionals? Yeah. Whereas I knew actually... Um, four of those people were the ones who were actually going to do something and everyone else was there ready just to run and be helpful. Okay. So that was that was able to be less overwhelming for me, I think. Um, obviously, I've just given birth, you know, no pain relief on board, no gas, oh. no nothing because of the way things went. And so I'm also in this surreal... Euphoria. Um, like, it's this weird feeling of, <laughs>
0: la, la, la. yeah, like,
1: oh, I'm just, I cannot explain to you how relieved I am that that is over. yeah Like, I can't, and you, you know, you get yeah, it. You just I can't, just, I am so relieved that that yeah. is over. And at the same time, deep concern for my baby who is on a recess table, not crying with people surrounding her and i'm asking the question you know what are her oxygen saturations because i know that i want her oxygen saturations to be 100 but you know at least if they're 90 and above i get an idea that she's doing okay mm-hmm. um and i was there was a nurse next to me and i said please tell me what her oxygen saturations are And there i knew they were delaying a little bit because it's the sort of question you don't really want to answer to um, a mum if it's not a good answer. Uh-huh. Eventually she said, look, they're 60, which is just, you know, it's just alarm bells. Yeah. But, you know, at that point, and I just said, are they going up or are they going down? Like mm. is this 60 going on 65 or 60 going on 55? And yep. she said it looks like they're going up. Um, so there was some sense of relief there and they were giving her some, you know, oxygen support at that point in time, some breathing support and they didn't need to intubate her. They just put her onto CPAP right there and then to help her breathe. And then her oxygen um, levels did rise quite quickly up to a hundred percent. So at that point in time, I did feel relieved that she was doing okay, yeah. but then you know, I just immediately start thinking, well, how long was she without oxygen for? You know, when Mm. she was inside me and I was pushing and she was being rotated and her pulse rate was at 70, you know, I just don't quite know exactly what had happened to her and how how long she'd been in that sort of distress for. So even though, you know, quite soon afterwards, within minutes, she was um, looking pink and making noises and um, breathing well, you know, was that, was she without oxygen? Like, was she at oxygen that level for four or five minutes? Because yeah, if that's the, the case... Yeah, damage already been done. Yeah, like, then that's looking at some sort of damage. And I thought... So then I suddenly had all these questions. And um, the hard part about that moment was that um, my obstetrician said, look, I'm sorry, but you've actually had a fourth-degree tear as well as this um, situation. So he said, I can't repair you here. It's just, you know, it, I'm not going to be able to do a good enough job and you've got no anaesthetic on board. We're going to need to take you to the theatre. So... I'm sort of signing some consent off to the side and, you know, really before I kind of know it, I'm being wheeled off to theatre mm. and my baby's still um, in that room being surrounded by people. Um, where's, don't, where's your husband at this point? He is on my left-hand side, baby on the right-hand side, and he's just saying, you're okay, she's okay, we're okay, and I, I just... I don't know if he believed it, but I was really grateful at that moment in time. <laughs> just lie. <laughs> That's right. He was incredible, actually. Yeah. Like, I, you know, you never know how your husband's going to be. No. But he really was incredible. And he did um, maintain a real sort of focus and um, encouragement and peacefulness that I was not expecting from him. Yeah. Um, not because he's not like that, but just because of the situation. So, yeah. And I, I end up in theatre. I'm sitting on the table getting um, a spinal, like the... <laughs> anesthetic I wouldn't have asked for a few hours earlier (laughs) um I then lie there for a 45 minute to an hour repair not knowing um where my baby is and how she's doing Uh, I don't get any updates it's a very unusual situation I, I really wouldn't say that the hospital did a bad job I think I probably could have been more demanding like can you tell me what's going on right but I was in this spacey place you know I've just given birth and it's hard to explain you know people have had babies you know you just go to this weird kind of like there's hormones and there's relief yeah. and there's all what is blur. life yeah <laughs> um so I ended up getting wheeled out to just the recovery area where I lay for a little while and the the NICU called down and said you know this baby um you know she's She's doing okay, but she's really trying to rip all her lines out and pull her CPAP off, and she's just thrashing about, um, you know, it might be worth having mum come and try and cuddle her. It might calm her down a little bit. Yeah. And I thought, well, if she's trying to rip her lines out and take her CPAP off, she's probably doing – like, that's, that was the first indicator to me that she was actually doing okay. You know, um, this is the sort of thing people do when they just – hey, get this stuff off me, I'm yeah. fine, give me a break. She's you packed know. up, she's got yeah, some energy. Yeah, I think so. That's. Yeah. An, there was an energy about that, that. I was like, okay, that's a good sign. Then my husband came down to meet me and um, we we were wheeled up together to the NICU and there she was in this little crib covered in <laughs> lines and tubes and, and they pulled her out of the little crib and they'd lay her on me and we just snuggled. And yeah, it was a bit daunting because she was, you know, there's a lot of, interventions going on for her mm. um but it was the first time i just got the feeling like she was doing okay and it was going to be okay although there was this niggle in the back of my mind the whole time how long was she without oxygen for yeah. like i know she's thriving now more or less but what is the long term outcome going to be for this situation so as much as i was enjoying that and as much as i was enjoying trying to get her to have her first little feed and and looking at all her, you know, fingers and toes and 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 feeling her respond and just snuggling and smelling her I think that was probably one of the harder parts is just like the questions about what had happened and what was the outcome gonna be. Um
0: and fast forward now, yeah. she's almost 18 months and obviously no sign. <laughs> she of. seems
1: quite smart, actually.
0: <laughs> she is I think brilliant. It's <laughs> <laughs> she's certainly resilient. Yeah, she's a tough little cookie with a,
1: a great personality. And it's just funny that she was thrashing about, you know, up there in the NICU crib because she hasn't changed at all. She's just such a little, like, active go getter scooter. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, she's a happy little kid. And how do you feel with such a, a long wait? And then a fairly traumatic birth, like, how did your faith impact that whole experience? I just feel like um,
1: if God hadn't been involved and present, it could have gone so much worse. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there were so many little blessings and little things along the way that just, you know, like the fact that they let us stay at hospital, even though I was under four centimetres and the fact that um, it was handover in the morning. So there were extra staff on board. There were so many little things that just made me feel like God was really actually watching out for us and taking care of us. And, you know, that that journey and that experience bonded me and my baby even more, I think, Mm. and even me and my husband. And being able to share that story with people who've also had tricky births has been – you know, a real blessing to other people. So I can see a lot of goodness in it. Um, and then also like, you know, like i met perhaps regardless of the journey, just to have this little human and to hold them, you just get this very small glimpse of the way God feels about us mm. and the fierce love I felt for her immediately. Um, I just got a small window into perhaps the way God looks at me
0: um, and I'm just deeply thankful. Mm. How do you feel about a second birth?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean we've got the embryo, so we're definitely going to be um using that at some point. Um is it a distant enough memory that you're ready to go it's again? There. <laughs> it's getting more distant. Um, look, because of the injury that I sustained, including um, the tear, I, I, my tailbone was fractured during it and, uh, the process. Right. Um, my obstetrician has recommended that we do an elective season next time,
0: okay. and I feel good about that. Is there anything that you'd say to someone who's still waiting for their baby or is supporting someone who's on a similar journey? Um, I'd probably say don't, um, don't delay
1: too long in seeking answers as to perhaps why you're not falling pregnant. If that's something you did a bit like us, we, we did start trying and then we just sort of thought, oh, well, we've heard it takes a while and, um, we didn't really look into it for four or five years. And then I think the thing is once you start looking into it, you start looking into it because you want it right there and then, you know, in a really intense way, Mm. and then you actually have to go through quite a long process. So... You know, if after a year you are finding it's not happening, just go get checked out. I guess there's no point in sitting on it for too long. That's one thing I'd say. Um, I think find out what makes you feel better in in that time and just do more of it. So for me it was holding other people's babies. You know, for some people it's avoiding that. And then I think maybe the other thing would just be don't be afraid to tell people that you're struggling to fall pregnant. I mean, that might be easy for me to say, each to their own, but – Yeah, like just it doesn't. It's actually not something to be embarrassed or ashamed about, and it's not really something that has to be a secret. And you find that a lot of people come out to be exceptionally supportive, Mm. and that can really help as well.
0: And it's more common than you might think. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, the miracle of birth is just that—a miracle. Hey, Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter how our babies enter this world. And of course, you know, one pregnancy or labour certainly doesn't define your next Mm -hmm. um I'm so grateful for you and for Maisie and her friendship with Banjo um and you've been such an inspiring role model as a mother for me and I'm so grateful uh, that we've got to have this year of maternity leave Mm. together um, and I really just hope and pray that it's not such a long wait till we meet your next Baba. <laughs> yeah, we too. Uh, well, thank you again for joining us on Mums Group. We'd love it if you could share this episode with someone that you think it might be helpful for. Uh, next time we're going to chat about feeding our babies, <laughs> keeping them alive. We're talking <laughs> boobs, bottles, and solids. Uh, but until then, bye. Bye.